I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 8 of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this is our very first episode in my Southern California recording studio, and I'm just so thrilled to be out here and to be able to continue bringing you great information about junior and college tennis. I am uh, going to be going to some college events out here. I'm going to be going to some fundraisers that are supporting tennis in the inner city communities. And there's just so much happening in Southern California tennis. And I'm just, like I said, just thrilled to be here and to be able to continue with Parenting Aces from the West Coast. So in this week's episode, I am chatting once again with Matt Manassi, those of you who've been listening for a bit may remember Matt from a few months ago. He is the former women's assistant coach at Duke University and is now coaching independently. And Matt and I chat pretty regularly, either through text messages or whatever, social media, and we have some really great conversations. So we thought it was a good time to have him back on the podcast to share some of his thoughts on what's happening out in the junior and college tennis world. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And for those of you who are avid podcast listeners, I also hope you will consider joining us on Patreon and becoming a patron of the podcast to help offset some of our expenses of bringing you these shows every week. So if you are interested, the link to our Patreon page will be in the show notes on parentingaces.com. Take a peek and come join us if you like. For now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the Parenting Aces podcast. Matt Manassi, you and I have been chatting and texting and emailing and tweeting, and I'm so happy to have you back on the podcast again. I am pumped to be here. I'm excited. You're We're going to have a good good talk again, I'm sure. Yeah, you're my first recording since moving out to California. So, um, you know, there's that. I don't know if you, know, <laughs> you get a badge for that. I don't know. <laughs> I wish we were doing it like on site in studio so I could be out in California, but next time. Seriously. Yeah, you're missing out, but that's okay. Um, we won't go there today. We'll just <laughs> we'll stay focused on the tennis. Sounds so good. last time you and I chatted, your role was as the women's assistant at Duke University. You are no yes. longer in that role. Do you want to share with our audience what you're up to these days? Yeah, um, I'm back in Boca Raton, Florida. I had a great two years at, at Duke. We uh, had had some good runs, reached two NCAA semifinals of the team event, um, had some great individual success with, with uh, Kelly Chen and some other girls there as well. Um, so a fantastic experience for me. And uh, I just, you know, the last six years has been great in college tennis. But for me, I've kind of, a couple years ago, I had a chance to travel with Ali Risk on tour and kind of always had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to get on tour and, and have that goal. So uh, I'm currently in Boca. I've been helping uh, with some juniors in the area uh, and hopefully I uh, have some things in the fire, but hopefully I will be traveling privately and, and trying to get on tour uh, in 2020. What's the difference between coaching on tour and coaching at the collegiate level? Um, 
I mean, it, you're obviously confined a little bit by NCA rules and 20-hour weeks and, and all of those things when you're in college. I think, you know, no matter what, no matter how good of a program you're at, um, and even the, you know, you're gonna have you're gonna have one or two players that may really want it and and want to be pro, and and they're gonna give you all. But you're never gonna be at a program that seems that all eight players are gonna really want it potentially as much as you do as a coach. But I think that's a normal thing. I think when you're, I mean, they're 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 college uh, student athletes, eighteen to twenty two years old, and there's a lot of other things going on. They they went to school and they decided to go that route to pursue some other things, to grow socially, to experience things in the classroom. Um, they obviously went to to have a good college tennis experience as well. But I think. Um, the difference on tour is that they're really all their eggs are in that basket and they're, they're focused, uh, every, every day they wake up and they're trying to maximize, uh, that day and their potential. And, and I think as a coach, that's, that's really motivating to be around when I was, uh, with risk, uh, for about that month and a half period in 2016, it was really motivating to be around and, and you feed off that, you feed off that motivation from each other and can really push each other. Um, and that's something that I want to be around and, and help, uh, player achieve their their goals and and you know when you're a little piece of that and, and you feel that you can impact them in a positive way that's that's very rewarding and I think you get that in college I felt you know very uh, rewarded by by the players in these programs but uh, I think it's different on tour yeah for sure and over the summer you jumped into the podcast ring and started started a podcast (laughs) with one of your buddies a comedian Mm -hmm. in new york and you guys (laughs) were very active during the u.s open do you want to talk a little bit about that experience yeah for sure no it's been fun i'm I'm actually speaking to you on my new samson g-track pro uh which is a great new podcast microphone that i have um no we uh i've always been interested in the media world and uh one of my buddies who's a comedian in new york city uh i went to high school with him uh he used to live in california and i we talk tennis all the time he loves tennis and uh, now he's in new york so when i went for the u.s open this year he's like dude we need to start the podcast now you know we're gonna go to the open every day and what what better way to come back at night and start recording sessions and talking about the tennis and give a you know comedic take on on what we're seeing and also uh provide some insightful analysis so it was really fun uh hopefully we're going to continue soon with uh some more guests at the u.s open was more of the you know analysis but uh it was really fun we we talked about everything from you know the matches to pineapple pizza to honeydew drinks at the open which we had too many of and uh it was a really fun experience yeah, y'all did a great job. And <laughs> if people want to listen to it, I will say it is not G-rated. Um, I, I wouldn't call it R-rated, but it's a strong PG-13. Correct. We throw um, some curse words in there. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how can people find the podcast if they want to check it um, out? Currently, it's just on Spotify. We tried to put it on uh, Apple Podcast, but we are not on there yet. We, we're still pursuing that route. But yeah, Spotify, it's Double Fault Podcast. Uh, with Matt Manassi and Joe Burke. So we have eight episodes out. We're going to try to get our ninth out this week. Fantastic. I'll I'll put a link to that in the show notes for my (laughs) listeners in case they want to check it out. Um, All right. So really what you and I want to talk about today is this whole approach of 
kind of the relationship between the player, the parent and the coach and the roles that each of them fill and should fill and also the roles they need to stay away from. And so you have kind of a unique approach that you wanted to throw out there with the parenting aces audience. And so I'm going to just kind of let you dive in here. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of people have touched on it. I mean, that, it was just something I was literally on the treadmill when I was thinking about it and, and how I'd like to kind of compare it to another uh, industry. I also kind of thought about this because I, I listened to your, uh, the podcast you did with your dad um, and we spoke about that and he's, he told you about how kind of, the tennis world has changed completely since he was growing up and it's become so, you know, the parents are so overly involved and all of this. So I thought he had a great, um, kind of outlook on it. Um, especially after taking a step back and all of that. But I think your, your dad was a doctor, I believe, correct? Yep. Or is a doctor and, uh, yeah. And mine, 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 uh, my dad's retired, but was a doctor as well. And I kind of like to compare it to that. So to get into it, like the, I like to compare the, compare the player to the patient, uh, the parent to potentially a nurse, someone who's kind of there as the supporting role, and then the coach that you hire uh, <laughs> as the doctor. And I think whenever you go to a doctor, you know, you're going to first see the nurse and you're going to, and, and first of all, the doctor and the nurse are there to support the patient. The end of the day, you want the patient to have the best outcome, to continue getting better, and you know, hopefully, they may not need you as much anymore, right? I mean, that's that's the that's the goal. And when you go into a doctor's office, you're going to see the nurse first. You're going to tell them kind of what you're what you're wanting, and then the nurse and the doctor can work together. But then the the doctor is going to come back and be the voice and tell you what what how to how to solve your problems, so to speak. Um, and in the junior tennis world, from my couple weeks down in Boca, uh, I think there are too many nurses or parents trying to be the coach and doctor and uh it's just not it just doesn't work <laughs> like there, why, if there's too many, the, why, um, why doesn't it work because you know we look at a serena williams who mm-hmm. her father was her coach we look at coco goff her father was her coach um we look at andy murray his mother was his coach i mean you know, there are Caroline Wozniacki. I mean, I, you know, we can just keep going. There are so many examples at the professional level of top, top players, number one players, potential number one players who have been coached by their parent. And yeah, I mean, yes and no. Why? Okay. So, so tell me why yes, yes and why no. Yes and no. I mean, I think you bring a great, great point. I think yes, because. They were major influences in their life. They did coach them early on and continued to coach them, but they weren't the only influence and the only coach. And I think in a lot of those cases, those parents knew when to step back and when to bring in coaches and when to listen to those coaches. Um, you can look at Andy Murray with, you know, Mark Petschy was a huge influence on his life. You can look at Coco Goff, uh, Gerard Loglo is a name that people probably don't really talk about. He was with her from probably... I don't know, 12 to 15 a lot, a lot of the time. I mean, he's a South Florida guy that's going to get no no love on helping her develop um, into who she is now. And I think uh, the problem is a lot of parents look at those stories and I think ESPN and, and the media has sensationalized those stories a little bit to say, oh, these parents were the only influence and 
they brought them up and they were the one teaching the strokes and motivating. Yeah, they were there to support, but they also hired a lot of really good people to help. Um, and I think, I think the parents role should be to motivate. They should be there to support. Um, but when they don't know something, you have to realize that and the coach you hire, you have to let them do the job, at least for that amount of time, whether it be six months, a year or two years. Okay. Then if it's not working and the, and the, and the player comes to that, uh, that decision, then, then you reevaluate and then maybe hire someone, someone new. But when, when the parent can't let go and, and doesn't know when to look out outside for more resources, I think that's when it's really uh, a detriment to the player and, and you're not going to, the player's not going to grow. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's such a conundrum because we know, and, and I've talked about this, you know, ad nauseum on this podcast, <laughs> how expensive it is to hire good coaches. And, Correct. you know, if your child's playing tournaments, I mean, paying a coach to travel with them, it's sure. I mean, just, it's ridiculous how much it costs. And so, you know, when we hear the stories of, a Coco Goff being coached by her dad, a right. Andy Murray being coached by his mom. You know, I think for some of us, the idea that light bulb goes on in our heads that, Hey, you know, I could do this too. And I could right. save hundreds of thousands of dollars every for year. Sure. <laughs> sure. um, why doesn't that work? Just, I mean, in any other industry, you're not going to, like like the doctor is the easiest one to do it. Like you're not going to think all of a sudden you're going to read a couple books and be able to, right? You know, do surgery and perform. You know, fix someone's broken leg. It's just not going to to work. And and tennis. I mean, I'll give you an example down here without naming any names. I I was watching a player practice this past week, um, and I, I was helping out and just kind of lending an eye, and I had found out this. A uh, parent had brought in other coaches to look, and there was a uh, at, at their player, and there was a coach already working with the player. And it's just like within one week, this player probably had three or four different coaches looking at her, including the coach that she works with full time. And it's like I, I just don't know if that's going to be, I don't know if that's the <laughs> the best thing for the player. I think it, it it's going to provide a lot of confusion for them. Um, they're not going to know who to listen to. They're going to be very confused and, and potentially panic. You know, where is my game at that I need this many people looking at at my strokes every day? Um, I think there needs to be some type of consistency. And I just think, I don't know, the, the, the parent, I think the parents are like early on in the process can motivate and get their kids really committed to tennis and excited about it and provide financial support, emotional support, all of that. And that's important. But when they get to like 14, 15, 16, when usually they kind of grow out of out of their parents' help and need, and need more, you know, outside support, I think the parents need to. Almost, like I, I was talking to a parent last night, and he was telling me, he's like, honestly, we've gotten to a point where we just we just drop uh, our kid off and come back and pick him up when the match is over, and like that's that's one extreme, but I I think that's probably the better extreme to be honest. Yeah. Well, that was one of the things my dad talked about in our podcast right. together, you know, the fact that his parents hardly ever watched him play his whole sure. tennis career. Correct. And, you know, we've we've certainly uh, gone 180 degrees away <laughs> from that. And we I mean, parents I, you're, are you're, so hands-on yeah. now. 
I mean, your your dad made a great point, and, and I remember I remember this from when I was you know growing up in Erie, Pennsylvania, and it probably was a detriment to me when I moved down here. But like, I remember if I didn't have anyone to play with on a Saturday or whatever it be, like I had to, I, I pulled out the phone book, found my buddy's phone number, called him to see if he would play. Like, I think most of these kids, if their parents weren't organizing their practice, I don't know what they would do. Right. And yeah, that's it's a not, problem. Yeah, it's I not mean, a great thing. It, there's, there's no free play anymore. And Correct. I know, you know, my dad, talked a lot about letting the child have control over the tennis and I'm not sure that's possible anymore. And I swear I have preached for a few years now about this whole concept of doing match play on the weekends and, you know, having the kids kind of text each other and, you know, one parent brings lunch one day and one parent brings lunch the, the next day. And they, they play singles in the morning and doubles in the afternoon. And, you know, but, I, I tried to kind of make that happen. I, I feel like that that line in um, in Mean Girls, you know, quit trying to make fetch. Happen. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I, I tried to make it happen for a long time, and I'm not seeing any progress there. So I don't I mean, know do if you, it's just beating I mean, a dead horse. The, do you think it's the money? Like, there's just too much. I mean, that's what you, I remember. You guys had that conversation. Do you think it's just there's too much money? being paid out to everyone else that the parents feel like they really need to be involved? I Maybe. And, you know, I think there's this whole notion of if my kid's not playing in an organized group or at a tournament that they're missing out, you know, that they're going <laughs> to yeah, fall right, behind. Right. I mean, I posted an article on our Facebook page um, last week, I think about, you know, how, we need to be careful about how much our kids are playing, whichever sport it is that they want to play and how you have to limit it to whatever their age is. That's the number of hours per week they should be playing and they need an off season and blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, almost immediately there was a comment that, well, that might be true with other sports, but in tennis, if you don't play every day, you fall behind. And I resisted the urge to reply to that comment, Mm -hmm. but I think that's the mindset that parents have about our sport. And I'm not sure if it's being driven by the parents amongst themselves or if it's being driven by the junior coaches or if it's being driven by the governing bodies, you know, saying, you know, you've got to play every day. You've got to play tournaments most weekends of the month, 12 months a year. Time away means falling behind. Right. I think that messaging has become so prevalent and it's problematic and it's leading to injury and it's leading to burnout. So what do we do about that? You know, I mean, I think it's a message that's probably being sent by every, you know, every uh, side of the tennis world. Like you said, except except the doctors. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're the ones saying you've got to give these kids a break. Their bodies can't handle this. And we're yeah, all I mean, ignoring them. For sure. No, I mean, it, I don't know. You even look at, I don't know, you hear kids going to different uh, training sessions with, you know, and I, I love the USDA as well, but you hear, you know, kids early on, 12, 13 years old, saying they, they're hitting six hours a day, you know, yep. at five days in a row for a training week. And I, I understand when parents and these kids make a commitment for a week to, you know, leave their hometown and, you know, they want to get the most out of it. But 
I don't know. It's like quality over quantity. It's the, the old, the old adage there. It's like, uh, it's, I don't know. I don't know if you're really getting the return. Like, do you need to be out on the court six hours a day? I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, and what happens if you get a blister on your hand in hour three on day one? Right. And then, then you're done for, for the week. Correct. Right. I Correct. mean, and, and that's just kind of, you know, a small thing that can come up, but my gosh, you know, I think that, these overuse injuries and and this whole sense of burnout is becoming epidemic and i don't know what we can do about it and i it just it strikes me as kind of humorous because you're using this whole analogy with the medical profession and <laughs> right. i think it's a great analogy but we're ignoring the medical people right for sure i mean the coaches are ignoring them and the parents are ignoring them I think the, the the main problem is everyone's saying like you just need to play more, and it really yeah. like, like tennis. The bottom line, if you're if you're gonna have a kid that's gonna be top 100 in the world or uh, I don't know, even top 20 in college, right? Like whatever it may be, like a lot of these kids, you can already forecast that at 12 years old because their technique is perfect or close to it, and they have the right fundamentals and the right coaching. They're in the right areas to get that. And like, that's really like in tennis, you can basically be screwed by the time you're 12 if you don't have all that stuff. Right. And that to me is the bigger problem. I think we have a lot of uh, high level coaches and I mean, it's, it's basically the coaches go where the money is, which is potentially in college, on tour, wherever It, it may not be, you know, working with eight, nine, 10 year olds. But if there was more money working with eight, nine, 10 year olds and we had our better coaches working with them, you'd probably have a bigger base for American tennis and you wouldn't have to have kids playing all day long and all day long because their fundamentals and technique would be what it should be at, at an early age. Well, but if you're playing all day long with poor technique, oh yeah, it's really be- how much does that benefit you? It no, n- not at all. <laughs> right. So, I mean, this is the conundrum I think. And I, I get, you know, I, <laughs> I hesitate to to kind of push this message, but I kind of feel like, you know what, it's time to push the, push the message that for the majority of these kids, their competitive tennis years are going to be finished at age 22 when they finish college. And sure. there are I, not even a handful. There's a thimbleful of players worldwide on any at any given time that are going to become top hundred professional tennis players. Right. And, you know, yes, your kid might be part of that thimbleful, but the likelihood is that they're not. And isn't it more important that when they're 40 years old, they can walk properly with their back straight without knee pain and hip pain. They can, get down on the floor and play with their own kids um, and hopefully grandkids someday without their body having broken down because they played so much tennis at age 14. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think coaches and whether it be junior coaches, college coaches, whatever it may be, have to also, it has to be fun. I mean, I, I see so many of these junior kids and even in college uh, just not enjoying what they're doing. Right. And that and that has to be at the because forefront. Because it's been of, a job since they were eight years old. It's been a job. Correct. 
Like, I, I mean, we've had instances like at Duke with one of our one of our players uh, this past year. She was having a tough month, and you know, instead of coming out to practice and running her into the ground, I was like, all right, let's go get Froyo and kind of let's talk about what's going on. You know, like what? Why aren't you feeling? happy on court what you know you you look miserable but why like how can we get you to I, I don't care if it's if if like it doesn't have to be on the court that like you feel great right away but how can we get you to that like is there anything off the court that's wrong you know what what is it and I think if more coaches were focused on like allowing their players to just enjoy themselves I think you'd get a lot more out of these kids because uh, yeah. it has to, it has to be fun, and it should be fun. I mean, tennis is a great sport, and um, the more someone's laughing and enjoying themselves, obviously, it's going to be hard. You're going to have hard moments, but it's got, it's got to be fun. And I, it's, it's, it's tough, like especially this last couple of weeks, like seeing some practices here in Boca where the kids aren't enjoying themselves. It's like it, it's awful. Well, and what's the likelihood that those kids who aren't enjoying themselves are going to still be playing in five years? Very low. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the thing. And that's the message I think that parents and junior coaches oftentimes aren't hearing or aren't willing to hear or believe that, you know, you're spending all this time and all this money and your family's making sacrifices for your child to have these opportunities, which is fantastic. I mean, it's what we all as parents hope we're going to be able to do for our kids. But if we turn it into misery, then what good is it? You know, what's that, what's the outcome going to be? What's the end result going to be? And isn't the goal to give them something that they're going to have for the rest of their life, not just till they're 22. And I, you know, I mean, my story with my tennis playing kid is, you know, it's a, it's a, tale of (laughs) warning and you know look at what i did how i messed this up my kid hasn't touched a racket in two years three years um you know i keep hoping he'll come back to it but he was so done and it's really sad you know it just it's a sad situation and i don't know i think it's one of these things matt that the coaches and the parents, the doctor and the nurse need to really have conversations about that and, you know, be on the same page with, yes, we want the kid to, you know, maximize their junior ranking. We want them to have the best opportunities to play in college and beyond if that's their goal. But, but after that, then what, what's our goal for the long term, and Mm. how do we get on the same page with that? And, as a coach, maybe you can shed some light on what parents need to be saying, what kind of conversations need to be going on to make sure that happens. Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at, I mean, if you look at the most successful people in like any industry, not, not just tennis, but let's focus on tennis. Like if you look at, I'd say 99% of the players on tour minus, you know, I guess Curios is actually quite nice off the court. So like in terms of how he acts on the court, that's, that's what it is. But off the court, he's like pretty professional in a lot of the things he does. Yeah. So like like with how he treats people. And I think yeah. a lot of these junior parents and, and coaches need to focus more on that. Like look at these pro players. Like if practice is at nine o'clock, they're there at at the latest, you know, eight thirty. You know, they have all their stuff with them. They're 
They're respectful to whoever's dropping them off. They're respectful to the coach's time. They're picking up the balls on the court. They're leaving the court how they found it. There's not trash everywhere. Um, those those lessons are what you need to be teaching these kids because then I think I think the rest of it kind of takes care of itself. Obviously, if you're a good tennis coach, you're going to be able to teach the forehand and the backhand and, and, and the strategy and how to compete and all this stuff. But that's that's going to happen with all the time you put in. But it's those little things, you know, if – Someone's showing up 10 minutes late to practice and treating their their father poorly, like that needs to be said right away. And you can put an end to that on day one. And if and if those are the things that these coaches are focusing on and these parents are focusing on, I think you're gonna have just a lot better people in our sport and it's gonna be a happier sport. And and I think that I don't know, for me that needs to be a, a huge focus. Well, I agree with you, and here's here's the issue. So if you as a junior coach mm-hmm. see a kid come up and speak poorly to a parent or show up late or show up unprepared, mm-hmm. whatever. And you say something, you run the risk of making that parent angry, making that kid angry and losing that family as a client. Right. I mean, that's a risk you're taking by speaking up. And sure. Um, and I know a lot of coaches have said to me, I can't afford to do that. I can't afford to make somebody angry over something like that and run the risk that they're going to leave. And then I've got a hole in my schedule and I, you know, I, I have to be able to replace that income. But it's, it's the funny because, yeah, well, I mean, let me, like, the, oh yeah, finish, finish, finish. Well, so I was going to say, so the flip side is as a parent, if a coach does address those issues with you or your child, you know, my hope is that through parenting aces and other forums right. that we can help the parents understand that that's not a basis for firing a coach and leaving. You know, it's it you should appreciate the fact that the junior coach cares enough about your child's human development, not just their tennis development to risk saying something and nipping bad behavior in the bud. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think in tennis, it's, it's, it's a strange sport in the sense, cause if you, let's, if you look at football and basketball, um, I think you hear a lot of these, uh, players when they talk about their high school coaches or, or whatever it may be, or even their college coaches and pro coaches, whatever, a lot of these kids, these coaches are like father figures to them or second father figures. And, have taught them how to become a man or a woman or what I mean, you know, whatever sport they're playing. And, and it, it is more about like the human development, not just the sport and tennis for whatever reason, uh, a coach's role seems to be just the tennis part, or that's the expectation of the parent. Um, but in terms of a coach losing their income or losing a job because of speaking up, I think most of the time, if you sacrifice some of your own um, values to just keep that income. Usually it's a short term thing anyway. Like you're, you're probably going to get let go because the parents are going to be upset about something in the short term. But I think if you, I mean, I know it's easier said than done, but if you can stick to your values and like, all right, these are my core beliefs. This is how I want to teach these kids. You're maybe you'll have a few less clients, but the ones you have will be solid and will stay with you until they go off to college. And they'll be great kids and, and they'll bring more of those type of kids into your program. Um, 
I just think it's a slippery slope if you're going to start, uh, you know, selling yourself for the paycheck. Yeah. I, I but, mean, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. And, yeah. but it, again, it's, it's both sides, right? The coaches yep. have to stick to their guns and the parents have to understand why the coach is doing the things that are Correct. doing. Correct. And not just assume that this person, this coach is, you know, just a nasty human being and, <laughs> right, you know, right, trying right. to criticize their parenting skills or whatever, right. but rather that they're there to, to help this child <laughs> develop into the best person they can right. be. And, For sure. and I think we miss that. We, as parents, we miss that messaging and, I, I don't know. I mean, we're, you know, we live in this age of political correctness and everybody's scared to say anything and, you know, their lawsuits and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the, the offshoot of that is that we've got kids that are having trouble finding their center and, you know, right. having trouble committing to things and focusing on things and, Tennis has always been, well, always in my 56 years, has been a sport that provides those skills to kids all the way through the process. And I don't know. I just feel like we're we're starting to let go of some of that. And it it's really a shame. Yeah, I agree. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> Well, and I mean, you're not that old, you know, and you're, right. you haven't been out of school very long. I mean, what are you seeing with your peers that came up through the juniors with you or played in college with you? Um, in terms of, in, term, in, in what way? In terms of what they're doing with their lives. How, you know, are they able to be successful, productive human beings out in the world? It's fun. I mean, I played at Purdue, which was obviously, you know, I don't know. We were ranked in the 60s while I was there. So it's on the, on the grand scheme of things, we weren't that great. Um, but it's a great school. It, yeah, no, it's a great it's a great school. And and, and the funny thing is, like a lot of uh, all of my teammates are doing pretty well um, because I think they I don't know if they, they took the tennis part quite quite as seriously, to be honest with you. You know, they were focused mm-hmm. on their studies and and they had, you know, some big aspirations post-college and um, many are in finance and, and real estate and, and all, all different things in between. Um, I think I'm the only one who's, who's a tennis coach actually uh, out of that whole, out of that whole crew. But um, no, I mean, I, I think, I think they're doing well, but it was a, it was interesting. It was an interesting group that I had. Um, I don't know. I, my friends that I grew up with, uh, even down here in Florida are all, are all doing pretty well. I think the tennis community is a pretty educated group that's pretty well connected. So, um, you know, no, normally they find their way in the end, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's good to hear. And I think, yeah. you know, you were um, maybe at the edge of, of where things started to change in terms of your age Actually, and yeah. when you were playing, you know, and I, I think it's going to be interesting to follow kind of the generation after you, those who were, yeah. you know, in their 20s and, you know, mid to late 20s and see where they're going with their post-tennis lives. And mm-hmm. and I think for a lot of them, you're right. They they have found other interests. And, and I, you know, it kind of makes me wonder as, as I'm listening to you, you know, <laughs> are our kids better off playing at a mid-major program where, 
the tennis isn't the end all be all. Or, you know, people know I've been promoting D3 for a while now too, you know, and, you know, maybe that's, that's the way to go. And I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. And I I think that's what makes uh, our sport so complicated. I have an interesting (laughs) story about that because, I I mean, I only keep in touch with a couple teammates, um, three or four, you know, and uh, that are very good friends still. Um, But I was just at a bachelor party, actually, of a buddy of mine who played at Carnegie Mellon. And he is like, I think everyone on his team was at his bachelor party, you know, over a couple of year period, you know, there was 15 guys there, you know, all played tennis at Carnegie Mellon, all love their experience, all love each other. Um, and that, I don't know that I think that's, you don't, I don't know if you see that at every single division one school, to be honest with you. Um, like I think they really, they're, tennis for them was just fun you know they they came together they competed it wasn't it wasn't pain it wasn't work it was something that they chose they chose Carnegie Mellon because of the school and tennis was something that just kind of added to their experience um and there the coach knew that and I I just think I mean it it really has a lot to do with coaching as well because I think if you do have a coach that understands that it's it's bigger than just the wins and losses, and if you can teach these kids things outside of life and help them pursue their goals outside of tennis as well, um, I think it can go a long way. I mean, you know, your goal as a coach, a college coach, is probably you want to be invited to some of these kids' weddings, you know, <laughs> and if right. uh, if you can do that and make a huge impact, uh, they're going to be better for it. You're going to be better for it, and the team's going to be close, hopefully, forever. It's interesting too to think about, you know who who in the coaching world right now plays that sort of role with their athletes mm-hmm. and i don't think there are a lot um where the players would say oh yeah this coach is you know my second parent right. i mean i that relationship is lifelong and right. you know all those things that you just said i interestingly i ran into some former college players who are playing out on tour right now um, at the open. And, you know, I would say to them, Oh, I saw your coach, you know, over here. Um, (laughs) You know, have you seen him? Oh no, we don't stay in touch. I'm like, what? Right. It's odd, right? Yeah. It was shocking to me to hear that because these are kids that haven't been out that long. And it just was surprising to hear that type of a statement because my assumption was always that, you know, this becomes your family and, you know, you have this bond that takes you through the rest of your life. And, you know, that's just not, not always how it is. And I mean, it's too bad because I, I do think that, as you mentioned in some of these other sports, that's a much more prevalent kind of outcome. For sure. Weird. I mean, that's that's their know. yeah that's the it seems in football basketball for sure like uh, I've seen so many videos and testimonies of, of these kids really forming that bond with these coaches and you know they talk about each other with tears in their eyes and I mean I I think that's an okay thing that's that's good yeah. um, but uh, tennis will get to it it's not in a bad place hopefully hopefully it'll keep getting better <laughs> yeah. So what's next on the horizon for you? You're, you're trying to get out on the pro coaching tour. Is that the deal? Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I may help out a uh, buddy of mine, Troy Han. Uh, hopefully I'm not over speaking there, but I, I may go down to the USA and help him out a little bit. Just, uh, kind of, uh, 
at a goodwill and see see if I can learn some things from them. And uh, yeah, I've just been in the area, and I think a lot of players are going to start to come off tour soon for the year, and maybe switch coach switch coaches. So um, I'm definitely available and uh, have some things in the fire. So we'll see. That's awesome. Well, you'll have to yeah. keep me posted, and you know, sure. once you you get that pro coaching gig and you have a minute to come back on the podcast because that life is crazy busy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd love to to chat with you and kind of see how things go on that end. And, you know, maybe have you talk a little bit about what the day-to-day life is out on tour for a coach. I think yeah. that would be really interesting for our audience. That'd be awesome. Okay. Look forward cool. to it. <laughs> cool. All right. And so your next podcast episode is coming out hopefully in the next couple days and hopefully yeah (laughs) yeah and we'll have a link to that in the show notes and if people want to get a hold of you matt if they have questions or just kind of want to throw ideas out at you is there a good way for them to contact you Uh, i'm always on twitter um you can put my uh whatever the at whatever uh, i think it's at matt manassi and then uh instagram as well but you can my email uh matt.manassi at gmail uh, people can always email me there as well, and I'll, I'll definitely respond. And uh, if it requires a phone call, I will. Uh, I'll give my number at that time and, and get on with whoever whoever needs uh, guidance or, or just wants to chat about tennis. So yeah, fantastic. Well, Matt, thank you, and good luck. And I please keep the texts coming. I, I sure. enjoy our back and forth. It's awesome. Um, as I was driving across the country, we were texting back and forth. I kept right. hoping you were going to pick up the phone and call me because I was so dang <laughs> bored in the car. <laughs> but Next time. Yeah. I'll visit California soon. We'll do, we'll do a go. podcast in person. So That sounds awesome. I will look forward to it. All right. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. Thanks so much, Matt. And to my audience, thanks so much for tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out parentingaces.com.